Hello, everybody. Welcome to Renar Voice. This is episode four. I am your one of your co-hosts, Robert Sotala, and help me navigate this ship as always, my co-host, Jeff Mazzone. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Robert. Good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. How you been? Yeah, good. Uh, getting ready for Christmas, Advent. Love, love me some Advent. Uh, just great time of preparation. Happy to be done with school and kind of read what I want to read instead of what I'm told to read. Uh, so... Yeah, it's a good time. And, and you know, I told you, I am so excited about these podcasts. I can't even sleep the night before. Uh, yeah, I know. You're like a, a kid on Christmas morning. Oh, really. man. I'm like, last night I'm texting you. This morning I'm texting you. I'm like, can we just start this earlier? Like, I'm just so amped up about it. Oh. So speaking, we are we are getting close to Christmas. It's, uh, what, four days away. So if you haven't done your Christmas shopping, you better, you better get cranking on that one. But I got a question for you. So... Um, I'm curious because last time we made a, a very um, relevant reference to Mario and Luigi. Yes, uh, obviously Super Mario Brothers. So, and, you know, Christmas time is a big time for gaming systems and video games. Were, were you were you a gamer? Were you a video gamer when you were a kid? Oh a man, we're just we're just really going for it here, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I I'm an only child, you know, single single mom, uh, only child. So there was a lot of video gaming, and. Um, I'm not the most athletic guy. I mean, I can play, but I'm like subpar with everything except running. Uh, so yeah, video games are really important to me, but I was a computer guy, like big, big nerd. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, you know, I did have the, the NES system when it came out in the late eighties and uh, that made for a lot of good Saturday mornings. So I wanted to just say real quick, I think the kids have it easier today because when we were playing, there was three lives, no save feature, you died. <laughs> You were done, and and if mom and dad wanted you to go somewhere, you had to tell them wait until I'm done because there was no saving it. I mean, you were at the end; you had you couldn't stop now. Right? I mean, you were you were at the end of the game. So, kids, kids these days. It sounds like you're blaming video games for the issues that the youngest generation is now facing when it comes to commitment and responsibility. Is that is that? Am I hearing you correctly? Using my counseling well, reflecting skills there? Well, that I think that's a whole different podcast episode <laughs> for for some other time. So. Well, hey, Jeff, uh, why don't we get right into it? And if you could introduce, I'm excited about this. If you could introduce our guest for today, that'd be great. We'll yeah, it's good that we stop on that because your son, who is our critic, is not going to like that thread if we keep going That's, on that one. Yes, very much so. Right. So we are really happy to have Dr. Mike Takis here with us, who's a professor at Liberty. And Dr. Mike Takis is a licensed professional counselor, has a master's in professional counseling, a specialist degree in education and holds a KCREP accredited PhD in counselor education and supervision. Dr. Takis has been working with a wide range of individuals from children as young as three years old through seniors in various counseling settings. He also has experience working with couples and families and has been working in the community since 2008. He has received training with multiple evidence-based models of treatment, such as multi-systemic therapy, Gottman couples therapy, and preparing rich premarital counseling. Mike also has advanced education in counseling theories and treatment models, and he currently is an assistant professor and operates a private clinical practice where he provides counseling services. Dr. Takas's passions include social advocacy, mentorship, engagement, and enriching the counselor-related field through his commitment and participation with various professional organizations. His accomplishments have included president of the Lynchburg Area Counselors Association and the president-elect of the Virginia Association for Counselor Educators and Supervision. He is also co-chair of the Virginia Counselors Association Racial Task Force 
for racial justice and diversity. So Dr. Takis, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, that was a mouthful of stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I might have jumbled a couple of words there. <laughs> oh, I think you're totally fine with that. Great. And and I know, um, Dr. Takis, you've had Robert in class, uh, I think for one of the intensives. Uh, you and I have never met, but I'm, I'm happy just to have this chance with you because Robert and I have been able to attend most of the monthly faculty uh, prayer meetings. And um, I've seen you just having a consistent presence there, but also a real leadership presence uh, there in, in the... Um, you know, in the prayers. And it, it's cool, too, just to see you as, you know, a, a Caucasian male uh, in that group who is really taking a strong uh, leadership role um, in praying about, you know, the different issues uh, that we're facing as a university, as a culture uh, of the racial peace. So just as a, as a white guy, a white student, it's been it's been really good for me just to sit and watch you uh, lead. So um, now that the three of us are together, it's a great gift. Well, thank you. I, I do think that the prayer vigils that we've been having have been so, um, so important because, you know, with, with just community and connection and being able to really just, just do what we should be doing to begin with, which is just going to the Lord and, you know, and, and just, just asking her for him to just be a part of this and help heal all the relationships and all the struggles and all the things that are going on in our world. And when it comes to you know, uh, social justice and, uh, you know, all the things that we went through, especially this year, um, there's just even for myself to open my eyes to what white privilege really is and how it influences people and um, how it's, it's something that as, as a white male, <clears throat> we need to be, we need to be more active in that. If, if anything, we have to have a, a stronger voice in there because it's so segregated at times that if if we're not the ones speaking up, um, then then people who look like us don't listen as often. And and I think that's one of the big issues is we really have to be able to cross together and connect together to be able to share that together. So same same thing with with being a white male in a in a with with women. I mean. Um, same thing. I mean, it, we, we, we run into a lot of that as um, like one of the things I'm very, very, um, it's to say it's a passion is not a, is not a right thing, but, but very much against is that even using the word doctor, you know, I know a lot of the guys, it's like, hey, call me Dr. Mike, or you just call me Mike or something like that, to hold that ground because I've seen so many of my colleagues who are women be referred to as just their first name and they, you know, they're, and they're way brighter and way more intelligent than I am. And, you know, and so, so to see that is really kind of disheartening. So we have to really have a firm ground on that and be able to be a part of that world to really advocate for, for them and advocate for people of color, um, you know, in those moments. And so, so I love those prayer meetings. I love being a part of those prayer meetings. Um, my is my prayers are really just whatever comes to me that day. So um, sometimes they're 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 pretty good. Sometimes it's like, man, this guy, <laughs> he's no pastor. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm glad you 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 guys were able to make that. It's I think it's a great thing, and and I love anything that has community where where faculty and students can sit together and just be together. So. 
Yeah, I, I think that that advocacy part is is such it goes deeper than just profession. And I think what you just said there is exactly exactly right. We have to continue to be advocacies advocates for 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 not just our profession, but but all those issues that are in the world today. So, um, Dr. Tag, as we had an opportunity to to interact at uh, at the five hundred five intensive that we had, and, and and I got to hear a lot of your own personal background and, and you shared a little bit with class. Can you just, um, for our listeners, just give a, a little bit of background and, and, and specifically, one of the things that, that I was very interested in is the the ability that you had to start your own practice and, and from the sounds of a very successful private practice. So can you, can you just give us an idea what led you to decide to start your own private practice? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's so cliche as Christians to be like, well, God told me to, but I really knew that, that this was something that God wanted me to do because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so, so if you don't want to do something and God's like, you need to go do that, then you just you just let Him take the wheel and do it. You know, and so so that's really what came out of it. And um, and you know, I think that why why our practice is so, and I keep I'll, I'll keep saying our practice because it's really not mine. You know, it it really isn't. Um, I don't really have that big of a role in it anymore, honestly, because it's the people who make the practice and it's the calling that each and every one of them has is what makes practice grow and become what it is because it's the Lord's. I mean, it's really what he wants with it. And so um, so my my start with the with the practice began with him just saying, I want you to do this and I want you to have a place where people can come um, to come and be healed. And um, of that place, it, it's, it wasn't so, our, our practice is not advertised as a Christian counseling practice, which may surprise a lot of people. Um, but everybody that is here is a Christian who is a counselor, you know? And so, and they all have their own individual callings to be here. And so really this is just a collective place for everybody to come um, who has that same calling because they wanna reach each and every person who wants to heal, despite of what their belief system is, we really feel that the Holy Spirit runs through us and you could reach people by that relationship, that connection that you make. So that's really where it started out, was just just real simplistic simplistic things of, of, of God saying, I want you to make this. And um, <clears throat> you know, there's each and every step of the way came with prayer. I mean, you know, I first thing I prayed for, I said, I said, all right, well, God, if you want me to have this, like I have negotiating ability with God, right? We all think we have that anyway. Still, <laughs> It's like, well, if you're going to do this, then I need this, right? And so I said, okay, well, if I need this, I need to know, I need somebody to be my partner in this. Like I need somebody to be able to be the person who knows how to do the billing, who knows how to do insurance stuff because I don't want to do any of that stuff, right? I don't want to do any of the money part. I just want to practice clinically, right? And so out the blue, here comes somebody who knows all this stuff already who is looking for a place. And so um, so we connected with her. And so so we started working out all the details of what the place would be. And then, I, then we said, okay, Lord, we need a place. And the place that we found was literally right up the street from the first place that we met to talk about this place. And it never even hit the market. Fantastic building, it's gorgeous. Um, you know, so I, I mean, if we were, if, if you could see the pictures, I could show it to you. But of course, it's it's just like an amazing, amazing place. And so, um, 
from there, it was let's fill it with people and let's fill it with good things. And so blessing after blessing after blessing came through this place. And really and truly, it is absolutely God's place because you can't even imagine to go from, you know, I, we jokingly were talking last year that um, we, we got the keys to the building in May of last year. And so that's when there was actually a physical place. And at that time, it was myself, a part-time um, bookkeeper, practice manager, uh, two residents who were fresh out of, the, out of college, um, and a LPC who was only going to be able to work like five days a week. And from that, we were so excited when we actually was able to see checks coming in the mail and, and the place starting to grow. To now, we, we, have a, um, we have a seven office facility and every single office is full. We, we can't even, we, we have to look at expanding somewhere else. Everybody is doing so well. We have about five or six LPCs. We have about five or six residents, bunch of interns and practicum students working here you know, to be a part of this. I mean, it's just a, it's just an amazing place. And you know, when, when God has really blessed you, when the people who don't have to be here for their job come in anyways to hang out because they love the place, you know, I mean, what kind of job is that? So, so it, it's been fantastic. It really has. I kind of want to move to Lynchburg because I want to know what's going on that A, there's so many people that want to go to counseling. B, there are so many good counselors around and and yeah, I mean, I what, what does that look like? I, I get the sense that it's so hard to get people to come in the door, especially since you've only been open since what May of, of the year before. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I, I really I really and truly believe that if if you do good work, you don't have to really advertise that, you know. And grassroots advertising is something that if you want to start your own practice. That's the first concept you really need to understand because good word goes throughout the communities, um, but bad word moves even faster. So if you're doing the right things and you're treating people right, you're treating people fairly and you're doing good work, the, the name is gonna get out there. And that's really what we've, we're seeing. When we, when we have somebody answer the phone and they ask, well, how did, you, how did you find us? Who referred you to us? It's other people who have either been clients, churches, you know, word of mouth, um, you know, are the only way that we honestly advertise anything is we are huge in giving back to the community and we've paid for cheerleading squads. We've paid for football teams in the area, you know, as far as like donating money for them. Um, just donate to the Girl Scouts. You know, I bought like $100 worth of cookies the other day through the there's <laughs> just to give out, you know, so they'll be coming in, you know, but but sponsoring little league teams and things like that, you know, and just really giving money back to the community. Um, I mean, that's the only advertising that essentially we've done by by people and doing good work. So. Yeah. And Jeff, you forgot C and that the reason to move to Lynchburg from at least my part of New York State is because they don't have 20 inches of snow. So that's another that's another reason to right, um, right, yeah, snow. hit the yeah. road. Yeah, maybe a uh, we miss we miss snow here. Oh no, you don't. No, you don't. Not <laughs> not this not this amount. Uh, it's horrible. Um, so, Doctor Tagus, um, you know, it sounds like the culture has been something that has been really important, and I think probably maybe a a, a secret ingredient to your growth, both from uh, staff as well as clientele. 
is that something that you were intentional about? Is that something that came naturally? Like, it seems like that's a big piece. I mean, the idea of people coming in on their day offs to hang out, obviously you're doing something right from a cultural standpoint. Um, could you just share if that was something planned, something intentional, or if it just kind of happened organically? Yeah, so so I've worked at many places in counseling that uh, everything from um, community service boards to private practices, um, private Christian practices. And the thing that, that I always knew was something that needed to be different was I wanted, I wanted to be sure that people felt loved and cared for that came here. Because if you feel loved and cared for that and you work here, then you're going to be able to do that in your in your settings as well. You know, it's hard to as somebody who worked through like a Medicaid service with the community service board um, and seeing my colleagues get burnout so quickly um, from the stress and just the of the job, not of the people, but of the job, billing hours, making sure you do enough credits, making sure you're doing all the things you're supposed to do administratively. It was such a it's such a hard environment that you go into your counseling session, uh, sessions with more frustration and anxiety and you know and so so it shows in your productivity of, of what you do with a client um, and so we knew that that part was something that we wanted very different here um, we wanted people to be able to feel that they could just focus on loving their client and writing a note and that's all they really need to worry about and so so we have a very strong uh, infrastructure with the people that run the place and so so that's a big, big key component the other part of it is um having worked at, a, at private christian counseling practices one of the things that i saw was that we turn a lot of people away for random things that we we weigh our theology on what we feel is sinful or not and we decide what that is as they come through the door and reject people who need help as well so I've seen places say, well, a couple who's not married, who's living together and has children, we can't see them. We can't see them for, you know, for couples counseling. Um, well, do we agree with that's the way that you should do things as far as, you know, cohabitating before marriage and having children before marriage? No, we know that that's, that's something that we shouldn't do. Is that something that the, happens in the world? Yes. And for us to turn away somebody and then call ourselves Christians, that's a, that's a horrible thing to do. And so we have to be able to love people. We have to be able to love the people that come in and say, hey, I'm struggling with my sexuality. And I've, you know, I've been with somebody of the opposite sex. You know, we have to be able to be okay to talk with that. I mean, this is what we train you guys for in the counseling program is how are you supposed to be able to navigate these fields? And so I've seen many of the practices in, in, in Lynchburg, where you would think that we would know how to do this better, really hurt people. And so those hurt people collectively come and are seen with us. And so, so we knew that that's a recipe of, these are the people that we wanna be able to help too. And it's not that like, okay, you're Christian, we're not gonna to talk to you, um, or you're not a Christian, so we're not gonna to talk to you either. We're, we're, we're willing to bring people in for the healing that they need and work on the problems that they bring to us of what they want to help with so so when you have something like that you know it, it's it's kind of goes into the thing that I and, I and i say this usually in the 505 class i think um if you have to go around and tell people you're a christian then you're probably doing it wrong you know so if you're advertising in that way then 
then you got to think, why do I need to advertise that so badly, right? People should be able to tell that you're different and that you, you have Christ with you, you know? And so, and we see that still here. And so I, so that we knew that was a part of this practice that we wanted to make very different. You know, Dr. Takis, that's, that's great. Just this idea of almost like you're secure in your identity as a Christian so much so that you don't need to advertise it because, you know, your actions and how you love, it's going to speak for itself. Uh, I, I love that piece. Um, but then also just availing oneself to a, a wider uh, group, uh, especially folks that may see Christian and may feel uh, I'm not welcome here, or I'm going to be judged, or I'm not a Christian at all, or I'm not interested in becoming more Christian. Um, yeah, so I think that's great. So just kind of moving moving from that into, um, you know, the, I guess the nuts and bolts, you know, I think Robert and I both have pretty high uh, Holland code E scores. So just like wondering um, what it looks like, uh, the business side for you uh, kind of as the principal of the practice, and especially how you balance that uh, with teaching your other academic pursuits, uh, your leadership roles and local uh, organizations, just what does that look like? How do you find the balance? So that's, a, that's a really great question because it can really get, if you let things get out from under you, they really will go in a direction to where you, you don't have balance. Um, you know, what's interesting is that, um, I mean, working as a faculty member at Liberty, I mean, that is my first and sole job, honestly, you know, and while you can see that, um, you know, a practice is doing well and from the outside, you may be like, how in the world does that happen? Well, the really, you know, like, how do you have something with this many people working at it and doing this well and be able to juggle those two different things? Well, um, because the one thing, which is the practice, I don't really do that much at, honestly. <laughs> in fact, most people don't even know that I own the practice or that I am like the director of the practice like they don't know that and that's why we have a practice manager who does a fantastic job that's why we have office staff who do who do tons of work that's why everybody here is able to schedule themselves be able to do their make their own decisions about their clients welfare really the most that I do here is supervision um, and take up physical space because <laughs> really, wow. there's a coffee shop literally two doors down that I frequent probably four times a day. So anybody who's had class with me in person knows that, that, that there's always a coffee cup in my hand. Um, so I so I visit and support the local economy quite a bit. So I see that as a, as a calling of mine as well. But um, to balance that, you know, it's it's like, how do you how do you even do that? You know, because the faculty job is a big job. I mean, that's a lot of work that we put in. You know, and so, so for me, it's really organizing your time and structuring it out to create firm boundaries, right? And so, like my weekends, you know, Friday I leave, I leave the office at about three or four, and that's it. I mean, I check emails throughout the weekend for to to keep up with students and all, um, but I don't do anything else with that other than family stuff till Monday morning at nine o'clock when I show up. Um, and that's when I get back to work. And so, you know, there are some occasions where, you know, like right now we've got grading that we've got to, had to do this weekend. So, so that's a, a very, you know, odd occurrence. But you segregate your time. I mean, I see, I see about 10 people here a week at this counseling practice, you know, and really I just, um, as far as client load, and I supervise a bunch of Liberty students for practicum and interns, which I love doing. 
um, who, who work at other practices. And so, um, but being able to organize your time in that way so that you're able to have some balance and um, is essential. You got to protect the time with family. You got to protect the time with the Lord. I mean, all those things are things that you got to got to get a good balance of. Um, you know, so scheduling is a, is an important thing. You really got to get good on that schedule. And I think that one of the things is graduate students need to really consider is that now is the time where you start losing your grip on that. Okay. Because as a graduate student, as a student who went through the online program, like many of you do, um, it's easy to always write more papers, always read more books, always do more, always do more. And, you know, working full-time jobs, having a family, and going to school, you're essentially doing the same thing I'm doing now. Um, but you just not have gotten proficient at it enough to where you can balance that out, because that's where we see student fatigue. We see, like, this week, Everybody's like, whoo, finally got all those papers in. I don't even know what to do with my life right now. I just need to take a break, right? And so so what happens is is, is we create these this vacuum opens up from time to time where we don't know what to do with that time, and so we start committing to more. So so creating balance for yourself now is essential because next steps for you guys is residency. You know, and that's a lot of hours, a lot of work. Practicum and internship, I mean, that is a job. You will be doing a job at practicum and internship, typically in addition to the job you already have, plus you have coursework. And so, you know, this is where we start start saying, you know, the family time starts getting smaller and smaller and our work life and professional life gets bigger and bigger. And so we have to be able to really compress that and say no to things. So. Um, so that's how you have balance. You really have to know yourself, know what your limits are, and know where to, to set up that, that time that you have and protect it. Yeah, that, that's all great info, Dr. Takis. And the thing that I take away that is surround yourself with good people um, that are on the same kind of direction, mission as you, and that balance. And you're so so right on because this weekend I was lost not having to write a, write a paper. Um, so I didn't. I didn't know what to do with myself. So, um, but it allowed me the opportunity to spend a little bit more time doing things that I wanted to do to fill myself up and also obviously family time. But I think that balance and that, that priorities, priorities, keeping those priorities straight, I think for me has been something that's, that's been really important. It sounds like that's what you're doing as well. And being able to manage all those different, those different pieces that you have to, I think that sounds like that's a crucial element to it. Yeah, and you, you know, you're, the program that you all are in you know, is is a fantastic program. I mean, and I'm not just saying that as a liberty professor. I'm saying as somebody who's went through it, I'm telling you that the program that you guys have now is even better and stronger than this program that I went through years ago. I mean, you're you're it's producing some really fantastic, just amazing counselors, and and I really really love it and respect it, and so. To know that you guys are going to go on to do some amazingly just fantastic things in our field um there's aspects of your your training which is what it is you, you know you guys are being trained um you know it's just not getting a degree you're being trained to do a job and to serve the lord in this way and so to see all the areas that you're being honed and trained on it's very reflective of even the phd that i have in counselor ed and supervision 
because our degree, the PhD that we have, and, and you know, if, if Dr. Kirk went through that already, um, it encompasses five domains, clinical, teaching, uh, supervision, um, research, and advocacy. And so, to, you know, so that's, that's what my counselor identity is now made up of, of those five areas. And you could see that that's happening, teaching at Liberty, clinical practice with that, doing supervision with students, being a part of professional organizations and advocacy, and working on research with colleagues. I mean, this is something that, that your degree is, is, is just a smaller version of that, and it's preparing you to be able to do these things. So, you know, you're taking your 515 class, you're taking your counseling skills class, you're learning about all these different things. And so, um, so, so take that into account that it's, you know, your, your degree is just a, a fantastic, that K-Crook degree is like the golden ticket, really. I mean, uh, you know, truly, and honestly, when you bring that out there and you say, hey, it's a K-Crook degree, that's, that's a huge deal. And it's going to be a huger deal than, than people, I think, even realize right now. So when you're, when you're trying to figure out how to start balancing those things, even look at those areas of, 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 uh, of what you've been trained in, you know presenting at conferences, being a part of professional organizations, I mean, being part of Renard, I mean, that's fantastic, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a commitment, that's an advocacy group, right, and so, so really, really just start looking at those things, looking at your degree a little bit different, just not, the, it, this degree equates to just a clinical practice, it's a, it could be so much more if you let it. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Takis. And that's a big reason that we're doing this podcast, too, is just, you know, we have the great KCREP um, program, uh, but especially as remote online students, we miss that the personal piece, the interaction with one another, interactions with professors, and just the opportunity to kind of build uh, a professional culture uh, into which we are trying to be inculcated uh, for the sake of formation, for the sake of taking that identity and, and incorporating it into ourselves. So that's a big reason that we're hosting this podcast is just to offer an extracurricular opportunity um, for students. And, you know, one thing that we, there's so many things that could be discussed in the KCREP program, but you know, you just don't have time. So one of those things is private practice, which is a big reason that we wanted to have you uh, aboard today, just to share a little bit of light and, and kind of point a direction into, you know, something that's a big part of the profession. Um, uh, so yeah, we're just really grateful for your for your sharing and your wisdom. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and I think there should there should be some caution that's that's kind of brought about with with starting private practice because I think one of the the misconceptions is is that it's just it's it's real basic and simple. Like, well, I need a laptop, a cell phone, a couch, and a place to do it. And and that's you know while that sounds amazing there's a lot of logistical things that go on with it. And this isn't a discouragement. I really think that people should go out and start new practices and be, you know, be these places that can really serve people. Um, but there's a little bit more involved with that than just that simple understanding. Um, you know, there's, you know, part of the reason why this practice can exist is because financially, I don't take money from this practice. Like I haven't taken any money from it, you know, um, only recently when we actually had to get accountants involved that said, hey, you need to take money or you're going to pay taxes on, all, on any of the money that the place is making. And so, so then I had to take a little bit from that, which, but it's still very minimal. And I think that one of the things that we really think don't think about is like, oh, well, if I can bill 100 to $150 an hour for a counseling session, 
I'm walking home with $150 in my pocket. And that's not the case. That's not the case because you have to pay for things. You have to pay for the taxes. You have to pay for the overhead, you know. And, um, you know, so there's a lot more involved with that. And I think that's where a lot of people really struggle is that they, 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 they assume that that's just instant cash flow and it's not it's an investment. And you really have to think of it that way. It's an investment on, on a place that's going to require you not to get paid for a little while. Um, you know, that you're not going to be walking, you're not going to roll out with a new Cadillac, you know, at the end of the first year. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a learning curve. You have to learn how to, to apply at insurance companies. You know, you have to, you have to think, am I the one who wants to reach out to my client after I've had a session with them and say, I need you to pay me money. And that's a really icky feeling for the majority of counselors that I've worked with. You know, they don't, they don't want to do that. Nobody wants to reach out and um, and say, hey, um, I need to get paid for this. And can I get that money, you know, or have to go after a client who's not paying you or, you know, as counselors, we really are empathetic human beings. And when we heard somebody's sob story of how they're financially struggling or they're personally struggling, they need to walk around the corner and say, OK, well, I'm going to need that money. <laughs> Because I got rent to pay. Uh, it's a hard, hard thing. And we don't like doing it, you know. And so that's another reason why I like I like having a practice manager, honestly. Because if not, I'd be taking cookies as payment. And there'd be all kinds of things. Chickens and, you know, whatever people could bring by. I'm <laughs> hearing a cookie theme here, yeah, Dr. And Tactus. coffee. I love <laughs> cookies and coffee. Oh, I love cookies. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd be really, really fat in the stomach and not in, in the pocket <laughs> if I did it that way. So, uh, Dr. Tags, thank you so much. We are, we are coming to the end here. I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you just for the, just the, the great wisdom, the great guidance. Thank you personally for just the, um, the mentorship that you give to all the students at Liberty. Uh, I know personally, it was a wonderful experience having you in, in, in 505 for my first intensive. So just thank you for that, your heart, your passion, your desire to grow new counselors and then your desire for healing. I, I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for just investing the, the time with us here today. And and um, I know you're busy and, and we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you guys having on. I'm really, really thankful you guys are doing this i think it's fantastic um you know i i think that it's going to reach a lot of people and really going to going to help them conceptualize how they can continue to grow the the people you've had on already i love them all i mean i i know all of them and um you know as colleagues with dr camden in the program together of course dr kirk and i have worked together for a very long time and so um you know these these types of folks are just You've got some really good people on there up until this point, probably. So, <laughs> well, well, hopefully we keep going with episode five. So we'll we'll, we'll see what happens after we I listen to it. Now, actually, Jeff, could you just give us a little teaser for for what our next episode, who our guest is going to be? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so on January fifth, because what we're trying to do is uh, twice a month, uh, January fifth, uh, just to give something during the break here. Uh, Dr. Brad Imhoff, um, who is a professor here at Liberty as well, who I had for 510 uh, Counseling Theories. He's gonna be joining us just to be discussing uh, weighing your own uh, mental health issues. Um, and that idea came about because while I had him for class, 
uh, a Counseling Today article was published that featured him uh, in discussing his issues with social anxiety and what that looks like, especially as a counselor where you're interacting with a lot of people. Uh, so we reached out to him, hey, what do you think? And he, he's all on board. So we're really excited to have him uh, early January, but also we're doing something different. Uh, in between the episodes, we're gonna be having a special feature series uh, featuring uh, experts from outside Liberty v University to come and spend a little more time with us to get into the nitty gritty of, um, of some other things that are you know touched on in our program, but there's just not enough time to discuss it. So our first episode is gonna be with a Dr. James Hansen from Oakland University. Uh, and the title of that episode is going to be The Dark Side of the DSM. That's right, I found a way to get a Star Wars reference and do a title for our podcast episodes here. Uh, but he is a strong critic of the DSM, and I came across him over the Thoughtful Counselor podcast where he did a two-episode um, series on the DSM. He's written extensively about it, and he has a Counseling Today article coming out in January uh, with some pretty heavy-hitting stuff about the relationship between counselor identity and the use of the DSM. Uh, so I'm really pumped about that. And I'm also really grateful to uh, our chapter faculty advisors for letting us do this. <laughs> uh, so yeah, stay tuned. January is going to look really great. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to for both of those and then some of the other episodes we have uh, scheduled. So Again, on, on behalf of all of us, Dr. Takis, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, feel free to check us out on any of the platforms that you use for your podcasts. Uh, we'll continue to, to um, post these as we finish them up. And uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful and safe holiday season. Thank you very much.